Well, good to see you today on the Shabbat. Glad you're here. It's no fun when you're not here, right? All right, well, before I get started, I want to mention, and I might have mentioned this before, there's a, a website called Desiring God. Desiring God. It's, it's John Piper's uh, website. Some of you may know him or not know him. Uh, he's Christian. Uh, and I'm not sending you to the website necessarily for that reason. But I stumbled across, and I think I might have mentioned this, he does these um, audio book reports on these great saints of the past. And yes, they're Christians, but I listen to them, and they put me to shame. And so I've listened. He's done several of them, like on Wycliffe, Tyndale, John Bunyan, uh, Hudson Taylor, I'm listening to the one now he did on Adoniram Judson. And I would just really beg of you to listen to these. Because though we're messianic now and we do the feasts and the festivals, as I've been saying, we don't hold a candle to these people. We just don't hold a candle to them. I know they didn't keep Shabbat, but they did keep Sabbath Sunday. I know they didn't keep the dietary laws and all that stuff. But raise your hand if you're doing it all perfectly and you're here today, right? So God, thank God somehow he uses us in our imperfections. Just thank God that he does. So please listen to these. I mean, they're about an hour long. To me, I've read most of them, but this, I'm going back probably 35 years and not as thorough as what he's done. But I have been so challenged and so convicted. The cost, the price these people paid to serve the Lord, the willingness they had, the, the extent that they suffered deprivation and hunger and bodily persecution is just mind-blowing. You know, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress in prison 12 years. You know, so please go. It's Desiring God. You come to the page. There's a couple headings or headers there. You look for the one that says biographies. I don't know. I looked on my phone before I came. It's, it's right there on the iPhone, and it says, like, sermon something, and there's a list, and you hit biographies, and then it'll take you to that page, and then you just scroll around and find them. I, I would suggest start with Adonai and Judson, then maybe do Tyndale, William Tyndale, the, the translator. Most of us know who he is, his life. They're just incredible. There's a few there. I don't know who they are, and I probably won't listen to those, but, you know, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, George Whitfield, um, uh, I don't know if I said, anyway, those people, they're just, it's just incredible, the old, the old guys. And honestly, we're going to need some of what they had. I mean, they suffered for their faith. They lost wives, they lost children, they went to prisons, <laughs> they died alone, had to bury wife out on the sea, and one guy was buried on the sea, you know, uh, and I go home and I, I'm just whining, wah, 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 you know, and I am so ashamed of myself, and so it's good to see this stuff, and, and they really lived out what the Lord Jesus said, you know, those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, take up your cross daily and follow me, you're going to be hated by all people, even family members, so... I'm just pleading with you. Do yourself a favor and and, um, and listen to these, or and then maybe get some of the books and read them.
All right, so for today, if you like, we're going to start out in Leviticus. And you can turn to Leviticus 10. I'm reading through Leviticus now. Um, I've preached out of this book, you know, I'm sure several times along the way. But, you know, if you Leviticus, to me, isn't one of those up in the top ten, probably, of your favorite books in the Bible to read. But it was interesting, I, when I drive to work in the morning, I've been uh, catching um, uh, J. Vernon McGee. Uh, some of you may know him or not. He's... He's dead now, too. But he's preaching through Leviticus at the same time. And it was interesting. He said, in his opinion, that Leviticus is one of the most, if not the most important book in the Bible. And I thought that was incredible. And in my own reading of it this time through, for whatever reason, I think because in the Messianic mindset now, all of this is for me. When it talks about Israel and, and God says to Moses, go talk to the children of Israel. I don't know how you used to read it, you know, as Joe Christian, but my mind works such, well, it, that's for Israel. Am I Israel? I don't think I'm Israel. I think I'm Israel. Can I take this to me? If it's addressed, say I'm such a literalist. If it's addressed to the children of Israel, well, based on everything we've been taught, well, that's for them back there. But then as God started working in my understanding of the scriptures, I realized that, you know, we've been grafted in. We are Israel. And so all this stuff is for us. So now, you know, when I read it, it's just been a real incredible blessing to me to just have it kind of keep like, you know, layer by layer opening up the beauty of this stuff that's been there in front of me all these years, obviously. But now to just to realize I have a stake in this. You know, I can touch this now. It's mine. It's personal. And though we can't live out a lot of it, we're looking forward to the time in which, you know, this, I think, is going to be brought back to fruition in millennial reign anyway. All right, so I'm titling this kind of two titles. Because I, I got this from my own reading here. I'm titling this, We Are Different, slash Separation. We Are Different, slash Separation. Now, what I mean by that, I'm not talking about we're, we as Messianics or in the Hebrew roots thing are different. I'm not talking about that at all. Let's just lump it all under the generic term of Christian, those that claim to be saved, those that are born again. We're different. I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you try to live out, especially now, coming into this Hebrew root saying, to live out what the scripture says, not only did you stick out as a Christian from the world, now you stick out as a Hebraic roots person from the world, from Christianity, now we're over here. We're really different. We really stick out. But what I want to try to get across in a nutshell here, and then we're going to work into this, is that, well, let me read it. We have to understand and come to grips with the fact that the moment we were saved, born again, we embarked upon a totally different course of life. And I'm telling you, we have to come to terms with that, come to grips with that. We are different. When we gave our heart to the Lord and he saved us and we were supernaturally born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, our life now took a different direction. If it didn't, you need to check that. Because the whole of scripture is basically a guidebook for those who were going on one path, 
came face to face with God Almighty through the person of Yeshua and were saved. And now you're over here going in this direction. Otherwise, if that's not true, why in the world did we get saved? What's the purpose of salvation? He, well, I, I'm going to preach the whole thing in two seconds here if I'm not careful. So, <laughs> Now, the fact that we embark upon a totally different course of life, it's intentional. This is what God has designed. It's not something we decide to go off and be crazy about and just be different for the sake of being different. Once we get into this book and start reading it, we find out, whoa, there's a whole lot of stuff now I'm not supposed to do and I don't want to do anymore. But now there's a whole bunch of things that I never saw before that are opened up to me. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the empowerment that is within us now by the strength of the Holy Spirit to start carrying out some of these things that God has in his word for us that we're supposed to be living out on a regular basis. So it's intentional. It's by design. God designed salvation. You know, salvation says, I was a disaster, lost in sin, you know, just miserable on the inside and God's working on us however he does that in his own will and way and we come to that uh, uh, cataclysmic moment in our life where we say oh God I need you I can't do this and he saves you and then you're off in a different direction all right now along with the fact that we're on a different course of life and it's intentional that God does this, and this new course is intentional from God. This also means what I'm going to call no more mixture. (laughs) God hates really a mixture. In Revelation, he's a little upset because they're lukewarm. He said, I'd rather have you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, And that's going to cause me to spew you out of my mouth. Well, what's lukewarm? It's a mixture of hot and cold. When God saves a person, he is trying to sift out the mixture. In other words, we are not supposed to be planted in two different worlds, the world of the lost person and the world of the saved. We now no longer mingle and connect those two. But God's people, for some reason, have a hard time grasping the fact and coming to the point in their own lives, our own lives, when we are willing to just realize we're not supposed to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. And it's a struggle, our whole Christian existence No more mixture. God is in the process of pulling us out of what we were to what he wants us to become, a people for himself. A people for himself. Now, as I think about the side of biblical separation, I'm not going to go down the road of the do's and the don'ts. I don't even know if that's something I'm supposed to do because you have in front of you the same word of God I have. You, if you're born again, have the same Holy Spirit that I have. 
So you have all the tools you need. In this book in front of you, the Holy Spirit residing within you to search it out yourself, to see what he is doing in your life, what he wants you to get rid of and what he wants you to bring in, how he wants you to mortify the flesh and how he wants you to yield to the fruit of the spirit working in your life to take over your life. So I'm not going to tell you, don't smoke, don't drink, don't run with women who do. (laughs) I'm not going to go down that road. You know, when I got saved, I got saved in 73, independent, fundamental, premillennial, pre-tribulational, hate everybody, Baptist church. (laughs) And it was during that era, and I'm not saying I'm against what I'm going to say, but it was during that era where there was a lot of preaching on mixed bathing. In other words, guys swimming with girls all at the same time. Not supposed to do that. Well, I see the wisdom of that. Uh, what else is going on? Men cannot have beards. If you had a beard, you, you were not right with God. Maybe a mustache, we can handle that, but not a beard. Let alone, I'd always say, it seemed like everybody in the Bible had a beard. It can't be all that bad. And some of these guys that we're holding up as our heroes of the faith, Spurgeon, they have beards, but no, can't have a beard then. Um, girls can't wear pants. Slacks, you know, that's like a mark of the beast. So they have to, they have to wear culottes, if you know what those are, or dresses. And I can remember teaching school in our Christian school after uh, where the Miss Inez Milford thing took place, and we're taking the kids out in uh, PE, and we had this one family that even during PE they wouldn't even let them wear culottes, which are basically shorts, had to wear dresses, and they're two twins. So one of them's going out there softball, trying to catch a ball, she trips, whoof. Dress goes flying up over her face. But she was wearing a skirt, bless God. (laughs) So I I don't want to go down that. You know, there's this whole smoking, drinking. That's not my job. That's not my necessarily my responsibility. Primarily, it's your responsibility to open up this book and read and say, God, conform me to the image of your son. Whatever that means, whatever it takes. Now, we all have crap in our life. So God is in the process of doing in our lives now what he was doing way back even in Leviticus and before. He is calling out a people for himself. And that means you're different. (laughs) It just means you're different. A lot of people struggle with being different. Probably all of us struggle with being different. You don't want to be the odd man out. It's uncomfortable. Um, I get fun of even the, my trainer for the bus. You know, he's going up and down the bus doing stuff, and I forgot something. He says, and his wife's Jewish, probably not practicing, I don't know. He says, it's probably those strings. I said, no, I know what I said. I said, I don't even know where my head goes sometimes. He says, probably those strings that you have attached to you. I said, I know, my brain's probably just... But every time I go up and down that bus, he's staring at these eat seats. And he, you know, how many, uh, there's so many thoughts in my head. But we, if you start, first started wearing eat seats, didn't you feel like you had a neon sign on your head? <laughs> I can remember this was in Arizona, and I started wearing, going to work after getting into this and realizing maybe I should. And I've been working there for a good while. All of a sudden, I show up with these strings on. 
I'm telling you, I felt like, you know, somebody painted a bullseye on me. We're different. But it's intentional. Because God is pulling out of this world a people for himself. Yeshua is in the process of cleansing, purifying a bride. All right, so let's, let's look into this a little bit. All right, now we're going to look at some passages in Leviticus. I'm going to take us there, and then I'm going to back up and tell, say what it means, and then I'm going to give some verses to kind of end this thing up with. But I'm pleading, I probably say these things a million times, I'm pleading with us, folks. We have to get rid of, I don't know what this means, our worldliness, our conformity to the world, our lack of conformity to the things in the Scripture, we're going to have to come to the point where we're going to make some hard choices in our life to obey God's word. Can I say it this way? Come hell or high water. And that's what these people that Piper's talking about did. And we need to do. So let's look at some, some passages. Uh, Leviticus 10. First off, we're different because of our priesthood. Now, it's talking about the Aaronic priesthood, but just hang with me here. But the whole purpose of the priesthood, not the whole purpose, but a part of the purpose of the Aaronic priesthood was, this is different. And i got to not say too much, because I'm going to end up saying it again. Let's just look at it. We're different because of our priesthood. Leviticus uh, chapter 10, verses 8 to 11. Now, this is after the Nadab and Abihu thing. I can't imagine what Aaron was going through. His two sons, two of his sons just got killed incinerated, he can't mourn, can't show any grief. And then on the heels of that, God kind of just goes on and says, verse 8, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And, here we go, that ye may put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean, and so as a byproduct, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. I just love that. That ye may put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. So just, you know, I'm the type, I just stop and say, I'm not sure I know what all this is talking about, but is there a difference in my life between the unholy and the holy? Is there a difference in my life between the clean and the unclean? Is there a difference? Or am I a mixture? A little bit holy, a little bit unholy. A little bit unclean and a little bit clean. Where are we? We're a mixture. They're not, you're right, we're a mixture. God does not want a mixture. And he sets the example with the Aaronic priesthood. You the guys that are supposed to teach my stuff, so it's going to start with you. And I'm telling you the reason why our country's a disaster is because of me, people like us, the preachers, that are a mixture in their own life. I mean, I know. I was one and am one. And I'm sick of a mixture in my life. But it won't go away until we submit ourselves to God and he has to do that work in us that only he can do. So 
So, all I can do, my job is here this morning, is there a mixture of clean and unclean in your life? Is there a mixture of holy and unholy? And I'm not going to define that for you. I have to believe you got it. You know. All right. Second of all, we're different because of, that brings us to Leviticus 11. We're different because of our diet. (laughs) Right? Who would think this would be such a big deal? Diet, a biblical diet, I'm calling diet, eating biblically, it's just a game changer. If any of you tried to do it amongst your Christian friends, a Christian family, unsafe friends, unsafe family, it's a nightmare, isn't it? It's just a headache. It's just a headache. Even when you try your best, you end up going out to eat lunch and there's (laughs) bacon in your burger. But salad. <laughs> yes, you know, it's everywhere. And it's so good. <laughs> but what do you mean you don't have ham for Easter, let alone you don't even have celebrate Easter? <laughs> so you get into now chapter 11, and there's this diet thing. So let's just read a couple verses. Um, chapter 11, starting at verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. Set apart. Again, this is a whole idea of we're different. Set yourself apart. Sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy. For I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be different. Let's say it that way. For I'm different. This is the law of the beast and of the fowl and every every living creature that moveth in the waters. Uh, Where am I here? And every creature that creepeth upon the earth. Why? To make a difference between the clean and the unclean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. You know, and it's not just Messianics that, that get the, if we just say the wisdom. As I told you, my hero of the faith, Lester Roloff, he ate a, a Christian evangelist. He uh, ate a biblical diet. He said, you know, he's talking about, you know, not eating, yeah, not eating a hog. He said, you wouldn't eat a buzzard, would you? I know I've said this a million times. Well, buzzards in the same category as a hog. Why are you eating a hog? I thought, how profound is that? And that's back in 1976. And he's preaching that in an independent fundamental Baptist church down in South Carolina, no less. Where everybody eats ham. And everybody's sick. Not just from that, but everything that goes with it. So, you don't eat lobster? No, then you have to explain why you don't eat lobster. You know? Well, we're different because of our diet. We're different because of our priesthood. It's, I'm going to tell you too much ahead of time. Okay, let me at least give you a third one. And there is one more outside of this that I'm not going to give you. Uh, but number three, uh, Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20. All right, verses 22 through 26. Ye shall 
Therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. Now, based on modern Israel today, what do you think God's going to do? Spew them out. He has no choice. Because they're doing just like those that were in the land that God kicked out so they could get in. And he tells them in Deuteronomy, I'm not kicking them out and bringing you in because you're any better than they are. Don't think you're better than they are. That's not why I'm doing it. And it took a long time. He said, the sin of the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hamanganites and whatever else are in there, all those people, their, their iniquity was not full. I think that's interesting. God waited as judge until their sin were so egregious they could be convicted in his court of law. And he's going to do the same thing with Israel, and he's going to do the same thing with America, and he does the same thing with any nation. He said, evidently, the Hivites and the Perizzites and, and the Mosquito Bites, they could have stayed there, but they were doing all these terrible things. And he said, okay, don't do that so the land doesn't spew you out. 23. And ye shall not, listen, this is so good. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and you can read about it, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. All right, you, you're smart enough. Don't do after the manner of the nations. We'll figure out what that is, right? And maybe if we each do it on our own and we collectively come together, you will have thought of something I hadn't thought of, and I have thought of something that you hadn't thought of, because God's working at us at different times and different levels and in different ways through his word, because we're all at a different place right now. And that's the beauty of a fellowship and a congregation. That's what it's supposed to be for. Not to come here and bicker and fight amongst one another and tell, me, tell us your latest and greatest stupid thing that you... <laughs> okay, shut up, Warren. <laughs> Okay, uh, where am I? 24. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. For I am the Lord your God, which have separated you, which have separated you from other people. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean, and ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I am the Lord your God, and have severed you from other people. Why? That ye should be mine. <laughs> God, could you make me yours and, and make these... Things I could eat a little different. But it's just, you know, God somehow, I, I say somehow knows, but God knows that somehow the world is just going to go the exact opposite direction. You know, the world goes the exact opposite direction. That's the course that they take, just like you and I do before saved. That's why I said when we get saved, whew, there's a new course. I mean, there's just a new direction. So what does this mean? All right, I'm going to kind of quickly recap that part of it. All right, so what does this mean now? These three things we looked at. Okay. Number one, we have a different priesthood. It means we don't worship as others do. 
That means God gave us this book. And God gave us from Genesis to Revelation to show us how we are to adore him. Right? How we are to magnify him. How we are to glorify him. Corporately, when we get together, individually, as we're struggling out in the world every day. God has given this book to us because our whole life is supposed to be a devotion of worship and adoration and praise to him. Which I get so convicted about myself, I don't know about you. It means our life is a life totally lived of worship. Not just here in this room. And I've said it before. You know, I get up every morning early. I have my devotions. I meet with God. I pray. I raise my hands. I yell. I scream. I, I get on my knees, on my face. I read the scriptures, and I say, come on, God. And as soon as I go out the door, hello, God. Where are you? Where are you? He's there. Because automatically, it almost seems like the onslaught of whatever the dark forces that are there, kind of just as you go out in the midst of this, it's just bombarding you. Well, how do we stay pure? How do we glorify and adore him? Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And our life is supposed to be somehow as much an act of worship, trimming horses, doing construction-y things, driving a school bus, being a cop, being a mother at home, whatever. Our, our life is supposed to be as much an act of worship and all of that as it is when we come here. So we don't worship as others. And it literally means that. God gave some of these restrictions like don't cut yourself, don't cut the corner of your hair, don't put tattoos on your body, because that's what the heathen do. That's how they worship their gods. I'm telling you, this is how I want you to live your life as an act of worship for me as I sever you out from amongst it all. All right? Second, what does it mean? And I've kind of hit on this already. We don't eat like others do. <laughs> and I just, I am so amazed that God in his wisdom, kind of hit us right where we all live. Because this food thing is humongous. And I, I don't want to say God intentionally made it difficult, but God intentionally knew it would be difficult because the world is not going to want to submit to this. You know, you get the same... The, Argument. Well, that was back then when there wasn't refrigeration, and now we have refrigeration. And <laughs> you can justify anything. I don't even care if they had refrigerators back then or not. It, God says, "Just this is what you eat, and this is what you don't eat." And in this, I am severing you out from amid, amongst the nations to show forth in something that is very basic: your survival, because you need food to eat. That you are different. The third thing, um, taking us back to, oh, I don't know if I said what it was, because our citizenship, we're different because of our citizenship, and that was Leviticus 20 uh, through 20, uh, 22 through 26, because of our citizenship. 
he severed us out from other people that you should be mine. Our citizenship is not here, Paul tells us. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we dwell. I don't know about you. I come here on Shabbat. To me, this is kind of like a little, I don't know what you would call it. A what? An embassy. An embassy? Yeah, like an embassy on a foreign land. Yes. Yes. It's like it, when I'm sitting here and it's for me, and I don't know if it's just an emotional thing and probably is to some degree, but I come here and I say, this is a taste of what it should be and what eventually it will be. And I just feel like I'm lifted out of that we're in and put right here. And I just soak it all up. And it's even the songs, and we sing the same songs over and over and over. But, you know, it's, it, it refocuses and resets. This is what it's all about. Our citizenship, this, this life, this world, this nation, this isn't us. We live here, but this isn't us. This is not who we are. That's why Paul says, set your affection on things above in Colossians 3, not on things on the earth. Because you've been bought with a price. So, we don't worship as others do, we don't eat as others do, and we don't dwell here as others do. And that's my take on it. You don't like it? That's fine. Get your own take. The, the goal is not for you to agree necessarily with how I see it. Come up with a way to see it, folks. Come up with your own way to see it. I think we can agree that God is saved us out of the nations. He severed us to be a people of his own. All right, I want to look a little bit more at that, and then we'll, we'll close. All right, turn up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To me, I think this is somewhat basic stuff because it was preached so much when I first got saved. I'm going to maybe meddle a little bit here. We, we've lost the concept of separation, being separate. Everything and anything goes now for Christians. The, the lines have become so blurred, there's hardly any more lines. And I'm a part of it as anybody else. Because I know... I can kind of justify and excuse pretty much anything I want, unless it's real blatant sin. But we find out God makes a pretty big deal about his people being separate and making personal choices, individual choices sometimes. I might not want to do a certain thing that maybe for you it's not a big deal, and vice versa. But collectively, we become a separate people and help one another in our separation of becoming what God wants us to be, distinct for him. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if, if this stuff hasn't grabbed a hold of you, please somehow allow it to. 17, 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I heard this 
during a difficult time in my, my life with, with my nephew, and I won't go into all that, but I was down at my sister's, and I happened to catch way out. It's amazing you can pick up these Christian radio stations out in the middle of nowhere. So I happened to pick up this Christian radio station, and the fellow was preaching on this verse. And he said, um, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. He said that has the idea behind it, such as if you were to go to the moon and build a new, build a new colony on the moon, that's what this is talking about. It's something that has not been there before. That's what the new birth is. You are something you were not before. <laughs> you are new. It's not a reformed you. It's not a, a brushing up of, of the religion you had in you. It's not you becoming a slightly better version of you. It's, it's totally new. It's a, it's a you that never was before. If any person is in Messiah, he's a new creation one time this building we're in wasn't here now it's here it was a new creation that's salvation that's what it means to get saved the old man is in the process of being done away with and a new man is in the process of becoming conformed to messiah but at the core of it is something totally new that wasn't there before Man can't put it there. You can't put it there. God himself put it there, made it when you gave your heart to Christ in salvation. Are you a new creation in Christ? That's all I know to ask. Are you a new creation? Are you a new creature? Have you been saved? I don't know. Well, I got to be nice in saying this, but how can you not know if something has happened? Are you, were you born? Yeah, I think so. You look at yourself, you're here. Were you born again? Well, I don't know. How can you not know? You need to get this answered if you don't know. Because it's that real, and it's that life-changing. All right, 2 Corinthians. When we're dealing with this idea of separation, so the old has passed away, the new is coming. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This, this is a passage that... I don't know. It kind of gets missed on, or at least I'm not hearing anybody preach on it. doesn't mean there's not, I suppose. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, that's just a whole mouthful. That's just a whole mouthful. What does that mean? <clears throat> well, that's what God wants to work in our hearts. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? <clears throat> and what communion has light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> We're so politically correct. Can you imagine going, you're an infidel. You can't even say stuff like that to anybody anymore. What do you, what do you think I need to get say? Because you're an infidel. <laughs> That's not loving. <laughs> That's mean. No, that's the most loving, kind thing you can say. That's what brings salvation about. God says, you're a wicked, rotten, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, and my son loved you so much, he came to die to take you out of that sin, not so you can still wallow in it and just take him along in your back pocket whenever you want. 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Well, what do I do with that? And I'm reading the Leviticus about the temple and how 
pretty important this is to God, and this is something you don't mess with. I mean, you can be killed <laughs> like Nadab and Abihu if you mess around. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, stay in the midst of them. You don't have to be different, and everything will be fine. <laughs> no, right? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch, oh, this is too Old Testament. Touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, is this stuff that we kind of got straightened out, we don't need anymore, or do we need more of this? More of it. We're told by Paul that we're in the process of being conformed to the image of God's dear son. I have a feeling somehow Yeshua was separate when he walked on this earth. And maybe in his humanity he struggled with it because nobody, you know, he turns to his disciples and said, are you guys going to leave too? And everybody else decided it up and walk away. I mean, that breaks my heart every time I read that. He has to turn to his own inner circle and say, are you guys going to walk too? Are you walking too? So he must have known what it means to pay on a personal level this, this price for separation because he dies on the cross and basically he's forsaken. Come out. Yeah, I just saw this, you know. Now we have people coming out nowadays, right? <laughs> they're not ashamed, right? Oh, they're proud. Yeah. I mean, this is not what it means, but... I just happened to read that and think, come out. Where have I heard that recently? It's time for us to come out. You know what I mean. <laughs> you know, why is the Muslims have no problem with coming out and being who they are, but yet we're still pussyfooting around? We'll be arrested if we come out. That's okay. But I know what you're saying. But yeah. All right, one more, and then a couple more verses. First Peter, and we'll be done. Now, for me, this is going to, to, to the heart of it for what, when I got saved. And First Peter was such a powerful book. I can remember because I started like it typically did, you know, in the New Testament. And so now I make it to First Peter. And wow, First Peter was right where I lived. It was right where I lived. I was so, this was like a, 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 uh, an oasis for me. And a couple passages that really helped. First um, Peter chapter two verse nine. And this gets back to our priesthood, where our citizenship isn't here. We're different and all that. It's kind of wrapped up in this one verse. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. I was talking with one of my son-in-laws, and he said, you know, we were talking about this separation thing. He said, yeah, we're supposed to be. The Bible says we're a peculiar people, right? I said, yes, but that's not what the word means. 
You know, if you look it up in a dictionary, the first, at least in the Webster dictionary, I think the old one anyway, peculiar means you're, you're the personal possession of somebody. I always say it differently, but that's what it means. You're not your own. You are the possession of somebody else. In this case, we are God's possession. He owns us. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath, here's a separation, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The, the, one of, this is one of the best verses I know for witnessing the people to try to explain how you know you're saved and how, you're, how you know you, that the person you're talking to, there's a good chance he or she isn't. And I will always say, I know, I can tell you exactly where I was and pretty much when it was when God took me from the darkness that I was in and did just what this verse said. He took me out of the kingdom of darkness and put me into the kingdom of his light. The separation, right? This goes all the way back to generation. God said it was good. There's, you know, the, the light and the dark now. This is a good separation. The light and the dark. Well, when God saves us, when God saved me anyway, I can only speak for me, it was just like, bing, the light turned on, it was like a real light bulb went on, and the, the darkness just kind of dispelled, and, and light came. It was that real for me. It doesn't have to be that real for everybody else. I've finally realized that. But it should be, in a sense, that real for you, that there was a point in time when you came to Christ, and whether it was instantaneous for you like it was for me, or, you know, sometimes you grow up in a Christian home, and it's always you live in it, and so it somehow is kind of somewhat muddy, but you come to the point where you finally realize and understand that you're a child of light and not a child of darkness. Something has happened. All right, and then the last one, 1 Peter 4, verse 1. I, I love this. Because this was me when I got saved. It was so dramatic. It was just like this. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So there's a warfare going on. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but, here it is, to the will of God. So there's that difference. Don't be living anymore to the lust of, the, of men, but now be living to the will of God. And then he talks about this. For in the time past, our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Do you see it? Separation. We're his. We're different. So different that they say, what is wrong with that guy? <laughs> what is wrong with that girl? Why are they so different? All right, let me wrap it up. We need to get it fixed in our minds that we're different. We don't like to be that child that gets picked on by everybody because that child's a little different, so everybody makes fun of them. 
But that's who we are, folks. That's who we are in Messiah. We're that kid in grade school that is so different, everybody picks on them because they stick out. And if we're not sticking out like that, there's something wrong with us. We're trying to be a mixture. We're blending in too much. We need to have the clarion call that God is still in the process of separating out a people for himself. We have to figure out what that is and be willing to live it, no matter what it costs. And if you happen to listen to any of these guys I told you about, it costs them dearly to serve Christ. Nothing's going to happen as long as we are no different from the world around us. We can bemoan and groan that people aren't getting saved that we would like to see, and this, that, and the other thing. But could it be we're part of the problem because though we talk a good talk, maybe they're not seeing the walk kind of matching it up. It has to be that stark. And that's why God has done this. You don't worship like everybody else. You don't eat like everybody else. This world isn't your home like it is for everybody else. Well, if that's the case, you stick out like a sore thumb. That's why he says those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So nod your head. Anybody get where I'm going with this? Yes. Now, I, I only preach this stuff because I'm preaching to myself because we're never going to arrive and that's okay but we need to be on the journey and we need to be progressing and we need to be becoming more and more like Yeshua we're supposed to walk even as he walked so where's a good place to start Luke 9, I forget what it is, 27 maybe. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself daily. Uh, let him take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. That's it. Take up your cross. Right off the bat, he's saying you need to be prepared to die. Die to self and maybe even physically die. Daily. So, we're different. We show our difference by our separation, which is lined out first in the scriptures. Are you willing to do your homework, to get into this book, to read the instructions, to find out how God wants to start working in you, to be different from what you are now, to become what he wants you to become in this life for him? Let's pray. Father, I, I personally thank you for reading the book of Leviticus, and, and I do admit to you and here now that it's like every time I come to Leviticus, it's like, nah. But this time it's been really incredible. Um, I think I slowed down, started to really think about what I was reading, and kind of put myself in the position of the people in which I was reading about, and then try to make it applicable to my life. And the thing that jumped out was this thing of being different. Separation. Being severed. You, you laying out the whole book of Leviticus, in essence, to show us how we're different from everybody else around us. And why <sighs> maybe a whole lot of people don't want to 
genuinely become a part of us because it is so different. And maybe you've made it to be that way. If we were really maybe being what you wanted us to be, uh, we would start attracting more of those that are really in a search for an answer to the emptiness that is in their own life. Father, help me, and I still fail, and I can pray this now. Help us to realize that when we're out there walking about, we're actually walking in the midst of dead people, dead people walking. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. They have no life in them, just like we did not before we came to Yeshua. We were dead. We didn't know it. We thought we were alive. The world around us doesn't know they're dead. They think they're alive. But they're dead. They're just dead. So, Father... I think for them to realize they're dead, they're going to have to see some genuine life around them. And I'm not sure what that means. But I know more of what it means, at least for me. And I don't know if it's always the same things we normally think of. Don't drink smoke and all that stuff I already said. I think it's somehow, not that it doesn't mean any of that, but it's somehow a little different, a little deeper than that. It's, it's something that is so much in us, it just comes out of us as a natural byproduct of allowing you to do more and more within us what you want to do. And it doesn't become a, a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. It becomes a heart of obedience that says, Father, give me more, tell me more. And we just walk it out. I think this is a big deal, Father, I really do. I think this is a bigger deal, this thing of separation being different and obeying you like this. It's a bigger deal than we want to admit because we know how costly personally it's going to be and what we're going to face, and we bristle against it on the inside. We, we sense a tightening within because we know the confrontation that's going to come. And it's a whole lot easier in the moment to slide on through, but our conscience, if we have the Holy Spirit within us, it just beats us to death because we know once again we've sold out you another day on this earth. Help us, Father, to live for you. Help us to live out Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Help us like that old hymn, Father, as you're all on the altar of sacrifice laid. There has to be something on the altar before we can do what you say. So, Father, do that work in all of our hearts that only you can do. I can't beat it into me, the people here, anybody listening. It has to be your working through your word, and that's the only thing that will last. So, Father, work in our hearts and in our lives. We do love you, and I know you know that, and we rest in that, but we want to just be more of what we're supposed to be as your children. In Yeshua's name, amen.